morning. If you are a student, you're dismissed. I welcome you to Christ Community Church. Greet you in the name of my Savior. I am happy as heck for y'all to be here with us. And um, hello. Hello. How are you? Great. Good. Happy as heck to be here. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I really am. I, I really am. Uh, thank you, Tommy. Um, that song about learning to be content or, or that I am content. It's one of those songs, like songs, you know, where you sing, Lord Jesus, I love you with all my heart. Um, I wonder, always I'm a little uncomfortable with that. I just wonder if we're, Paul said that he had learned to be content in whatever state he was in, I think in Philippians. He learned to be content. And it was, a, I assume that means it's a process. Um, that's a hard deal in that uh, being content. Um, Christopher, thank, thank you, wherever you are. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, that was great. Got better every song. I mean, it was great. Um, you know what the word gyra means? Yeah. You know that? Yeah. Y'all know what that means? That the word Jehovah Jireh? Something to know. Provision. God is our provision, our provider, our abundance, our sufficiency. Jireh communicates all those images. Abundance, provision, sufficiency. Uh, Jehovah Jireh. That's one of God's names. Yeah. Yahweh Jireh. Yeah. Um, God of a God of abundance, God of provision, God of sufficiency. Enough. enough. God, God, the God who is enough, the God of abundance. Yeah, but I wonder if we, you know, if that's how true that is of of our of of, of us. Yeah. I want to pray. Okay. Lord Jesus, I. Uh, you created the world one morning um, just because you wanted to. And you created us and you, you hold this universe in your hand and you keep it operating as it should. You cured people of leprosy and blindness. You raised people from the dead. Are you not then able to relate to us in ways that will make us content and satisfied? I don't think the problem is your abundance or your provision. I just I pray God that you would help us, that you would um, Teach us, teach us, God, how to be content and satisfied in you. Uh, please, let it be so. And speak to us now, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, morning. Um, rare is the week, I can almost say never had a week, but rare is the week where someone or multiple someones doesn't come 
and sit down with me or text me or email or call me. Uh, and in the conversation, in, you know, in one way or another, they will ask me a question directly or indirectly. And the question, in one way or another, is this. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God has left me, betrayed me, forgotten, forgotten me. Um, rare is the, rare is the um, situation where they're really throwing that on God, as much as they're what they're saying is, what's what's wrong with me? Have I? Have I done something? Or I know I've done lots of things. Are, are those things that I've done, have they driven God away or made God mad? Uh, I, I was a terrible parent or a crummy mate or I, you know, whatever, whatever, I've, 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 I've whatever. But I feel like God has abandoned me. And um, probably most of us in this room have felt that way, whether we've ever verbalized it or not. And I, I know I've gone through a number of seasons. I'd like to say moments, but it, that's not the way it has been. That's not the way it's worked out in my life. A number of seasons in my life, in my journey with God, where I felt like God, I, I, I did not see his blessings. Other times, Shirley Odea, I have been so blessed. I just walk out in the street and there'll be a $20 bill laying on the ground. You know, I mean, I, look at who I get to be married to and you should meet my daughter and I get to be the pastor of this church and yeah, I mean, I have so many blessings but there are times when I don't see any of the blessings of God and there are times when I feel God is so close to me and speaking to me so powerfully I, theologically, I don't believe that I he, have heard his voice, but it's been so real and so clear that I'm not sure that I can distinguish between it being audible and not. It doesn't matter, but, it, but then there are other times when I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world to stand up here week after week after week after week after week and tell y'all, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, and it'll fill you with joy and with peace and with wisdom and with courage and with faith. And theologically, I believe that with all of my heart. But while I'm telling y'all that because I believe it theologically, that is not I could be reading a mad magazine or, or uh, 
whatever, whatever, whatever it is. I don't think they even make that anymore. I don't but, think so either. But, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, Everything bespeaks our age. Yes, yes. And it's scary. It's painful. I, I whoever would be the, you know, if, if you ever felt abandoned by anybody. It's a very scary time. It's a very painful time. Um, it was a major concern for the people that wrote the Bible. I don't know that there's a subject or a topic in the Old Testament for sure uh, that was written about more than this issue of God abandoning us. I mean, I would say a fourth of the Psalms address this issue. Every prophet, every prophet uh, from Isaiah to Malachi, they address that very question. God, they either ask you like this, why haven't you abandoned these wicked, hard-headed people? Or God, why have you abandoned them? And, uh, 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 but abandonment is a big part of Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Lamentations and all the minor prophets. Um, this idea, has God abandoned us? In Psalm 22, the psalmist says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is your salvation so far away from my cries of anguish? I cry out to you day and night, but I hear no answer, and I find no rest. Psalm 42, the psalmist says, My soul longs for the living God. Where can I find Him? I'm looking. I'm searching. I'm seeking. I can't find Him. Psalm 83, and, and I, could, I could sit here all day and give you these verses. Psalm 83, Oh God, please don't remain silent. Please don't turn a deaf ear to me. Please don't stand aloof, oh God. What a, what a visual. God, I feel like you're standing aloof. It was a struggle for the, the cream of the crop in the Bible, the Bible heroes, the, 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 the people with the strongest faith and the most intimate relationships with God. You see it. In almost every one of their lives, I, I, I was trying to think of some exceptions, and I couldn't. Clearly, we see it with Job, and we see it with Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, and we see it with Joshua after he, got his, he and his army got their fannies whipped at Ai, uh, that little town, and, and uh, they'd won this big battle at Jericho, and then they get their fannies whipped. And I mean, Joshua fell, the Bible says that Joshua fell down on his knees, and he said, God, where are you? Have you abandoned us? Gideon, David, Elijah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all those names I mentioned, each of them not only verbalizes this terror that God had abandoned them, they use the word. They use the word God you have or why have you or would you please not abandon me? Jesus on the cross 
Jesus in the garden the night before the, the cross. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that abandonment in the garden, praying. He felt that abandonment on the cross. John the Baptist, in, the, in prison, you know, he thought he'd hitched his wagon. To, you know, God said, here's the Messiah. Your job's to introduce him to Israel. <laughs> yes. Next thing he knows, he's thrown, he's, his, his family's been thrown in jail. And uh, he's about to be executed. Jesus, are you the one? Did I, did I mishear? He felt abandoned. Mary and Martha, standing there by that grave for three days of their brother, knowing that if Jesus had been there, everything would have been different. They felt abandoned. Mary, the mother of Jesus, gazing at her son, who the angels had told her will be the Messiah and the Savior of the world, and she's watching him die on a cross. She felt abandoned. The day after the execution of Christ, the disciples, don't you know? They were just sitting there going, this did not go the way we, right. were we wrong? Yes. This did not go the way we thought it was going to go. Where is he? Yes. How could this have happened? Yes. Mary Magdalene, who, um, yes. who was delivered of demons, goes, uh, seven demons, goes to the grave. And now, not on, the, not on that Sunday, but that day, and how could this be? How can this be? The Apostle Paul said in the, uh, well, forgive me, but I, anyway, I was reading it the other day. He starts listing all these difficulties and uh, sufferings that he went through. And then he said, we despaired even of life. What that, let me just translate that for you. We wish we were dead. They felt abandoned. Every one of these people we're talking about had deep, rich, strong, intimate relationships with God. But they also knew of seasons where God felt or visually appeared to abandon them. The... the I wished I had enough time today to talk about this one, but I don't. Uh, but the, the greatest example, the most, if you just go by the amount of ink the Bible devotes to a subject, the example of abandonment that the Bible devotes the most ink to is the Babylonian captivity. For a thousand years, God had told the people of it, He told His people, please love me and know me and trust me and follow me and serve me, and if you will, you cannot imagine, but they wouldn't. They would. They were too selfish. They were too prideful. They were too independent. They were. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna do it another way, not your way. Just like Adam and Eve. Just like Adam and Eve. And finally, after a thousand years, God said, "Okay." Well, actually, He'd been warning them throughout the thousand years. If you don't stop. I'm going to turn you over. I'm going to send you away into a foreign land. And that land ultimately was Babylon. And, um, and God, uh, the, the writers of the, of, the, of the Old Testament, the writers of the prophets, the prophets, they, the way they wrote about it was, God has abandoned us to Babylon. That was the way they verbalized that. And it's true. 
God did abandon them into a very bad, desolate, slavery-type existence for 70 years. But you know what struck me as I was pondering that and reading passages addressing that is that when the Bible uses the word abandon, that God abandoned his people into Babylon. We need to be very careful that we don't project onto Bible words what, how we interpret words, right? Um, because think about it. Where was God when his children, his people, were abandoned to Babylon? He was right there with them. Where was God? He was with Daniel. Where was God? He was with Esther. Where was God? He was with Nehemiah. Where was God? He was with all these different people. The, th the three uh, boys, the three, uh, yeah, Hebrew boys. Um, he was with Ezekiel. When, when the first page of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is writing about God's abandoning his people into Babylon. But, so he's sitting by this river, river, uh, uh, the Kibar River, and we're, God's right there beside him. I think it's very important that we try to see what the Bible's talking about when it says, does God abandon his people? Yes. And for us to sing songs and have Bible verses on our walls and to cherry pick verses that talk about the opposite, we need to be very careful. The whole counsel of God, right? It's not, I can read you a verse, I'm going to read you a bunch of verses here in just a minute about God never leaves us or forsakes us. Uh, Hebrews 13, what is it? Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13. I will never leave you or forsake you, okay? Is that what the Bible says? No, that's not what the Bible says. That's what that verse says. This is what the Bible says. And the Bible talks about abandoning his people. But when God abandons us, He's with us in the abandonment. Even in our abandonment, God is present. Isaiah 54 says this, Briefly I have abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. One last thing that I want you to share with the, what you were telling me about. Um, I talk to a lot of couples just about every day. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist and it doesn't take a lifetime of talking to people to come to the realization that it is impossible. Hear me well, because this some of you are doing this. Some of you are doing this and you need to, I'm rebuking you in Jesus' name. Okay, I love you, but I'm rebuking you. Okay? It is impossible to create a healthy, strong, loving marriage. Or any other relationship. I'm just picking on marriage. Where you have a fear of abandonment. Or where you have a threat of abandonment. Let me say it one more time. It is absolutely, with my hand on the good book, impossible to create a healthy, strong, 
satisfying relationship with a same parent child, no different a friendship. Any pick a relationship. I'm just picking marriage. Why does our marriage stink? Because you threaten me all the time when you get mad that you're leaving. That's why it stinks. Why does your marriage stink? Well, because every time I come home 15 minutes late, where have you been? Who have you been with? You don't love me. You don't love me. You don't love me. Eventually you go, well, maybe I don't. I, I sure don't love how I feel right now because you're driving me stark raving crazy. <laughs> we can't, and when we project that under our relationship with God, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. Or if God doesn't come through, I'm to heck with him. You, you, you can't build a good relationship with another person, God or anybody else, where there is a fear of abandonment, has God deserted me, or the threat of abandonment. If you don't fix my kid or my marriage or my health, I'm out. Good. I'm reading this terrific book called uh, Learning to Walk in the Darkness by Barbara Brown Taylor. And she talks about, I was reading it this week, and she talks about divine abandonment. So um, I'm going to read just a little bit from it. She Please. Please. Cool, right? mm -hmm. She opens with this verse um, from Isaiah. I will give you treasures of darkness, God says, mm. and riches hidden in secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you uh, by your name. So she is talking about literal darkness and also, of course, figurative darkness. Um, and she says that she's talking about the familiarity of divine abandonment. In other words, that it is a common thing to feel that God has left us. Mm. And she says this, step one of learning to walk in the dark is to give up running the show. Mm. Meanwhile, here is some good news you can use. Even when light fades and darkness falls, as it does every single day in every single life, because she talks about literal darkness and figurative darkness, God does not turn the world over to some other deity. Even when you cannot see where you are going and no one answers when you call, that is not sufficient proof that you are alone. There is a divine presence that transcends all your ideas about it. So the presence is larger than our idea of it, our knowledge of it. Along with all your language for calling it to your aid, which is not above using the darkness as a wrecking ball that brings all your false idols down. But whether you decide to trust the witness of those who have gone before you or decide to do whatever it takes to become a witness yourself, here is the testimony of faith. Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as the day. Read that sentence one more time, Brian. I'll start here. Whether you decide to trust the witness of those who have gone before you or decide to do whatever it takes to become a witness yourself, here is the testimony of faith. Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as the day. She goes on, I've read this book before and I'm reading it again, to uh, declare that God speaks from the darkness more than the light. He speaks from the cloud more than he speaks from the clarity. Mm. That's, the, that's her premise of this book. And she goes on later on to talk about how it's when we're in the dark 
We, do, we can't see five inches in front of us. That's when our ears are most able to hear. It's an amazing premise that God either, this is her premise, either speaks more or we hear more or able to hear more from him in the darkness mm -hmm. rather than the light. And so she asks, she asks us not to fear it. She's teaching us trying to, yes. how not to fear it. I don't know of anything that God's trying to do in my life and maybe in yours too with such passion and determination is trying to bring me to a place where I take him at his word that he is always with me no matter what no matter what no matter what Psalm 9 says people who really know you trust in you for you do not abandon those who seek you. Moses said in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong, be courageous, don't be terrified of your enemies, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, for the Lord himself goes before you and is with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That, the background of that verse is where Moses says, Lord, are you going to go with us? And he goes, nah, I'm going to send one of my main angels to go. And Moses says, no, I don't want no main angel. I need you. And unless you go, I'm not going. Angels are fine. But that's, that, this, I want you. That's the background of that. In Isaiah 41, Isaiah says, fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love this verse in Isaiah 49. The people of God say, the Lord has forsaken us, the Lord has forgotten us. This is God speaking. But though a mother forget her nursing baby or withhold compassion from her child, I will not forget you, for I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands, and your walls, your homes, are ever before me. Psalm 94 says, The Lord will not reject His people. He will not forsake His inheritance. In Hebrews 13, uh, Paul says, God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus said, the very last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble or hardship or persecution? How about famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As, the, as Psalm 44 says, which was a psalm of God's abandonment, as Psalm 44 says, for your sakes we face death all day long and we're viewed as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we are more 
than conquerors through Christ who loved us for I am convinced that not death nor life nor angels or demons the present or the future or any powers above or below or anything else in all creation can separate us from God's love in Christ my favorite poet Gerard Manley Hopkins has a poem in which he, at the end of it, he says, I, I wasn't thinking about it till you read all that, um, the Holy Ghost broods mm -hmm. over the bent world with, and then he goes, ah, bright wings, like a mother hen. The Holy mm -hmm. Ghost broods over us, over the, over the bent world, do you hear it? Over the brokenness, all that brokenness, all of our mess-ups. He broods over that with, and then he gets so excited that he goes, ah, bright wings that he's always there no matter what I really believe that the Lord has for a long time has been trying to teach me not to ask the question God where are you I think there are better questions to ask I think the better one better question for me to ask is Larry where are you Rather than asking God, where are you? Maybe I need to ask myself, Larry, where are you? If someone's moved, who might that be? If somebody's eyes have changed focus and direction and priority, who probably is that? Where in my life might I be disobeying, distracted. Where in my life might I be grieving the Holy Spirit? Where in my life might I be grieving the people of God? Jonah felt like God had abandoned him. Who'd moved? Prodigal son didn't feel close to his dad. Who moved? Peter didn't feel close to Jesus the night of the, uh, you know, when he was arrested. Who ran away? Last week I mentioned to y'all that we'd been in the Smoky Mountains hiking and, you know, you, you, you go along and there's just limbs and trees and branches and, and leaves and stumps and everywhere. And you, you, go, you walk along and then all of a sudden, it clears away and you can see these unbelievable views uh, of these mountains. The mountains didn't move. They were there. I just couldn't see them. And then when everything cleared away, you're like, oh my gosh. Is God in these times of darkness... Is it that God is hiding His face and His presence and His blessings because He's mad or frustrated or aggravated or distracted or just tired? So I'm going to go to sleep. Or could He be in those times removing all the things that keep me from seeing Him? His smile 
his rejoicing, his, his, his glory, his beauty, his power. Um, I take comfort in this long list of people who felt um, abandoned by God because it's not a singular feeling, is it? Yes. It's not new to right. us. And so sometimes when I look back over history or look back over biblical history and, and all those people felt the same way, there's this odd sense of comfort that I'm not alone when I feel that way. Hmm. But also the rejoicing that we also know that even that, that they moved past the field. Yes. Martin Luther was asked one day, Dr. Uh, Luther, do you feel like you're a Christian today? And he said, not today, but I know I am. I love that. There are days when I don't feel like I'm a Christian. I don't feel, I don't feel God's presence. But it's when I feel that way, what do I know? What do I know? C.S. Lewis said, it is a fact of life that our feelings change. Isn't it lovely that God's love never does? What do you do when you get into these dark places, Shirley? Well, I'm reading a book about it. <laughs> um, but uh, You've gone through these times. What, what do you do? Everyone has gone through mm -hmm. these times. What do you do? Um, so, another book that I teach at school is uh, East of Eden. You have heard me mention that before, probably before this. And there's a, a scene where a man loses everything. He loses everything. His wife runs away. He's left. She's abandoned two children with him. He, he has plenty of money. And so what he decides to do in all this loss is sit down. He just sits down on the front porch. And he stays there to, a varying, de to varying degrees for 11 years. He's got somebody to help with the children, and he's got a cook, and he, like I say, he's got plenty of money. But he, he, so he just sits down. Checks out. He just checks out and sits on the porch, and that, that's what he does for 11 years. Finally, his friend comes. Friend has uh, gotten old and is actually dying, and comes to say goodbye and sees him still sitting there after 11 years. It's a cowboy thing, and the guy hits him and then hits him again. He finally gets up. And when he gets up, the man's name is Adam, and when Adam gets up, he says, she left me, and she left these boys motherless. And his friend says, yes, and you have left them fatherless. Mm. What do you want me to do? He says, and this is what his friend said, and this is brilliant advice. He says, when you are down, you go through the motions when everything falls apart, and it does, you go through the motions. Yes. What was it like when it was good? Yes. Do that. Until it gets good again. Until it gets good again. Get up. Make breakfast. Eat something. Walk. Work. In the spiritual realm, get up. Eat something. Walk. Work. Read. Pray. Go to church. Read your Bible. Pray. But I'm not getting anything from it. Do it until you do. In your marriages, you'll never hear anything more important. Well, I don't feel very close or intimate or in love with my wife. 
Well, still, what, what did it look like when you did feel that way? Well, we, I kissed her every morning before I went to work. I kissed her every evening when I got home from work. We were romantic on a regular basis. We took long walks holding hands. I said, I complimented her. Then do, do those that. things until the feelings come back. And they will. They will in your spiritual life and in your relational life with people. Do what you did when it was good and continue to do it until it's good again. Out of the confidence that God is with us and is seeing that and goes, dead gum, that fella is sowing seed. He just, even when he knows it's not going to grow, he's sowing it and he's sowing it. I guess I ought to bless it and make it sprout. I guess I ought to bless it and make There's it sprout. There's a new term for something that's been around forever. And that is cancel culture. That's the new term. But it's been around forever, right? So if you don't do what I want, I cancel you. You're out. I wish we could cancel that cancel culture. Yeah, well, it, 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 it is at a peak at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but that's, isn't that what we do with God? I mean, we give him a minute or two or three. But, man, chop, chop. Hmm. If you don't produce on my time schedule, I cancel you. Who's abandoning who? Yes. Yes. Thank you. God has not abandoned us. There are times when I don't see His blessings in my relational life or my financial life or my physical life. There are times when I don't feel his intimacy. But God wants to get me to a place and He wants to get you to a place where we trust His character, His promises, His track record that He is with us. He is with us. He is with us. That passage that I uh, sent y'all this morning out of Habakkuk. Though there's a farmer writing this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there be no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fail and the fields produce no food, though there be no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior, for the Sovereign Lord is my strength. He is your strength. He is your strength. We're going to um, hand you some juice and bread, and... Uh, I invite you to join me in eating this just as a way of declaring God is my strength. And He undid the brokenness when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. They were abandoned. They kicked out of the garden. Jesus restored that intimacy so that we can now walk daily in intimacy with the Son of God, with God Himself.
And because of what he did on the cross, I'm the per I personally am the beneficiary of that restoration. And if that's your testimony, if that's what your confidence is in, then you take this and you eat and you drink. Okay?